0: Yes, awesome. You know I, I, I was going to bring this, uh, you know, big introduction, but reality is Joshua Vandercluck really is just a part of this home. Him and his wife Emily have just been so, uh, such good friends to us, and uh, at least once a year, the last couple of years, we got to hang out with them outside of the city limits and just kind of uh, get, the, you know, just their little DNA of their outdoor adventure stuff. They're, they're like hikers. They like they, they they do a lot of stuff with their family. That's just insane. They will, I'm pretty sure he's probably jumped off a waterfall one day. Uh, maybe. Yeah, he has. He has. I mean, it's just, he does. Things that He's the one that took us, him and Emily took us to the Sleeping Bear Dunes where we almost died that day. I mean, it was just not, <laughs> and, you know, and so these guys are just so, their hearts are for the Lord. Um, they love this church. You know, they're from the Grandville area. He's a pastor of uh, Iglesia Vida out in uh, Granville. Uh, but I had asked him, hey, what do you think about coming out in July and giving our guys a word? He said, of course, I'll do it. Let's do that. So, hey, let's give a warm Res Life Highland welcome to Joshua Clock. <laughs>
1: All right. Okay, well, I want to introduce my wife and one of our boys. This is Leland and my wife, Emily, and we are very glad to be here today. All right. I want to open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. We just thank you for your presence here amongst us, Lord. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would touch each and every one of our hearts and that we would be changed by your words, not mine. I just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, a few weeks back, somebody came to me and asked me about the verse Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. How many of you recognize that? So, it says, for I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is the thing, it gets stuck on like a kitchen towel, you know. We've seen this verse a lot of different places. But this person asked me a question. They said, how do I know that applies to me? And, you know, I thought, now most of us as Christians will be like, "Ah, because it's on a towel. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it, it does. But I got to thinking about it, you know, a lot of times... We may not understand, what, what makes it? How do I know when a Bible verse applies to me? So that's what we're gonna talk about today because how many of you realize, not every Bible verse makes it to a towel. <laughs> um, I, I picked one out for you. Second Kings chapter one, verse 16. Starts with, thus he said to him, thus saith the Lord. Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the king of Egron, it is because there is, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone, but you shall surely die. <laughs> <clears throat> Nobody's ever seen that one on a kitchen towel. But the question is how do I know which verses I can claim and apply to my life? What verses can I stand in faith and say, this is God's promise to me? Because do we just go through and pick the ones we like? Well, I like the one about I have good plans. I don't like the one about thou shalt die. So I'm just going to take that. Now, some people have done that. But is that the way it's supposed to be? And, you know, a lot of us, we know the right answer. But we might not know why. So I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I was born to missionaries in Mexico born in Mexico, uh, lived there until I was five years old. When I was five years old, I spoke good Spanish. Um, Then they left. We came up to the U.S. and they stopped speaking Spanish around the house and so I forgot. Now, I wanted to be a missionary. I told my parents when I was in kindergarten, I'm going to be a missionary someday. So I had the desire to go back. I wanted to still speak Spanish, but I was losing it. When I was 10 years old, my parents realized that my Spanish was horrible. So, the summer of my, when I was 11, they called up a pastor in Mexico, and they said, we're putting him on a plane. This is when he arrives. Pick him up, and put him with somebody in your church who doesn't speak English. And off I went. Now I was excited about this because this was something I wanted to do. I think that's important for you parents to realize they didn't kick me out. Like I wanted to go. But they sent me down there. I spent a week with that pastor that they knew and another week with somebody in their church who didn't speak any English. And every summer after when I was 11, when I was 12, when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, went to college, 20, 21, 22, until I was 23, I believe. I moved to Mexico, but I spent every single summer in either Mexico or another Spanish-speaking country. Here's the thing, my Spanish got better. By the time I was 13, I was preaching in some of these churches in the way back nowheresville. And, uh, and my dad said to me, he said, in the land of the blind, the Cyclops is king. Tell them what you know. <laughs> so <laughs> he's like, you know what? I was going I was out in these villages where there was no electricity, where they had no doctrine whatsoever. They couldn't tune in and listen to the radio preachers or listen to podcasts or you know, just went out there. So the simple truths that biblical truths I knew was was good stuff. So I was doing that. But here's what I want to talk about. I learned Spanish talking. Nobody taught me the rules. So later, when I was living in Mexico as a missionary, people would compliment me on my Spanish, and people who were learning would say, so how do you say this? And I would tell them, and they would say why? And I would just say, because it sounds right. (laughs) Because if you say it any other way, it sounds stupid, so that must be the right way to say it. I didn't know. When I went to college, I decided to learn French. So I got enrolled in class the first day. I did not know know anything about French. I actually chose French because I wanted to speak Portuguese because I was expecting to be a missionary in South America and there's this big old country down there that speaks Portuguese, but the school didn't offer it. And so I figured, well, French is the other half of Portuguese and Spanish is the other half. So if I speak those two, I should be able to pick it up if I ever end up down there. So I went in there. I did not know bonjour was two words. I didn't know anything. And all of my classmates had taken French in high school. So I get in there. I don't know anything. And by the end of the first semester, my professor said, I've been teaching French for 20 years. And I've never had a student do so well and get such bad grades. (laughs) Because I learned through understanding. You know, I could speak quickly. I could understand what was being said. And I could speak it. But I just She'd ask for the participle and the past and the present and the, just tell me what you want me to say, and I'll say what sounds right. I didn't know why. Okay, some of us as Christians, that's us with our Christian walk. We've got these verses. You say, does, does that verse apply to me? Yes. Why? Because I saw it on a towel. <laughs> you know, does this verse apply to me? Probably not. Why? Oh, just... Because it's never been on a towel. Because it just doesn't sound right. I don't know why. I just know that it isn't. So today I want to talk about how we know when a scripture applies to us. And there's nothing wrong with knowing. In fact, sometimes that's part of how we know. This is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, 16-17. It says... The Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. There are two things in this scripture I really want you to notice. First one is, His Spirit talks to our spirit. Sometimes, the way we know is that his spirit says so. Sometimes that is part of what we know. His spirit, the Bible says that my sheep know my voice. And as a Christian, you have, should be familiarizing yourself with the voice of God. And there will be times somebody will be up there preaching, some guy will be just going off, and you'll hear somebody say something doctrinally, and you'll be like, that just does not sound right. And in that moment, if someone asks you why, you're going to be like, I'm not totally sure, but it just makes my skin crawl. It just doesn't feel right because his spirit is speaking to your spirit and, and saying no. The other thing I want you to see there is it says, and if children, then heirs. He says, look, he says, we are, well, say it with me. We are children of God. Children of God. Say it again. There we go. This is important. If we are children, then we are heirs. That means we receive the inheritance. All the good that God has for his children, we are a part of that. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified with him. See, a lot of times, there are baby Christians who doctrinally get it. They're they're listening, and they just like, that ain't right. And then, the, the people who've been in the church long enough are like, well, you, I don't know. I mean, he's strung seven verses sideways together, and I think I'm going to go with it. And the baby Christian's like, I don't know, that just doesn't make sense. Because they're being sensitive to the Spirit. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 27, it says, the Spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. What does that mean? That means that God speaks to us through our spirit. That when he wants to uh, enlighten, that's what a lamp does, it brings light. When he wants to enlighten us, he will speak to us through our spirit. Now, it's good to know what's right. But the Bible also says in 1 Peter 3, verse 15 through 17, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who knows or excuse me, who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. See, the Bible also says that we have a responsibility to seek to understand the why so that we can share with others. So you may know it's right. Like I did, I I knew how to respond in Spanish. I knew how to respond in French. When someone would ask me, The why, I'm like, well, I haven't figured that part out yet. I'm working towards that. And today, my Spanish is way better. And I can give you the reasons for a lot of those things grammatically. I'm not the best at it yet. I can admit that part. Mostly, I still go with what I know to be right from experience. But as I've grown, and especially as I've been called to teach others, I needed to grip a grasp of the rules and the understandings behind the grammar of you know, what I was going to say. So the question is, how do I know when the scripture applies to me? Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, all scripture, say that with how much? All. all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it is inspired by God and it is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work what is the point of every verse in the Bible every verse there is inspired by God and the goal is that it be profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness? That man, that so that the man or woman of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is there to equip us to do the good work of the gospel. It is all there for my benefit. How many of you uh, grew up in Sunday school? All right, not everybody, but. Some of us grew up in Sunday school. How many have ever heard the Bible described as a letter from God to you? I love that. It is true in the big sense, but when I look at an individual verse, how many of you realize every single verse isn't God speaking to me? One of the key portions of understandings of the Bible is to realize there are a lot of different voices recorded in Scripture. They are inspired by God. They are accurate in that this is what happened. But sometimes it's the righteous speaking among the righteous to each other. Sometimes it's the wicked speaking amongst each other. There are recorded verses where it's telling us what the bad guy said to another bad guy. There are the righteous speaking to God. There are the righteous speaking about God. There is the wicked speaking to God. There is the wicked speaking about God. And there are even some passages that is the devil speaking. The devil is quoted in scripture. So before I grab a verse and say, this applies to me, my first question should be, who is talking? And who are they talking to? I need to be aware Of who is talking, who is speaking, who is being spoken to, and why are they speaking. How many of you have ever read the book of Job? That book, more than any other, has been misapplied through a misunderstanding of that concept. Chapter 38, if you look in that chapter 38, verse 1, it says... The Lord spoke. So, this is when Jesus, or God, excuse me, starts talking. And the first thing he says about the people who were previously talking is Who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? So, God answers what was previously said by people who God says didn't know what they were talking about. Some of the things they said earlier that, you know, like Job's wife, chapter 2, verse 9, said, go curse God and die. Bad advice. (laughs) Okay. Some of the, the friends, Job's friends, show up, and they say, oh, well, surely, This is all because God is punishing you. Surely this is all because you have sinned. You've obviously done all this wrong. And they make those statements to Job. It's the unrighteous, because they're clarified as not knowing what they're talking about. When God showed up, he said, you don't know what you're talking about. But people grab that and say, "Woo! I'm going to go with it. So it's important that we understand who is talking And who they are talking to. We read earlier that we are, what are we? We're children of God. I love, one of my favorite little sections in in scripture is Acts chapter 17. Right in there, verses 20-somethings. That whole section. It's because Paul has shown up in in a new place. And in this place, they had tons of different idols and and worshipped tons of different gods. In fact, history tells us that that city had so many different uh, gods, and, and they were so, in a sense, so goable. They were so hungry for different gods that they made a law. Nobody can preach about a new god, because... People had started taking advantage of it. I think of it as like multi-level marketing when they show up somebody who just loves that stuff. And you know, every every new mundan, like, I gotta get in, I gotta get in. And so they would just try. And people would show up and, and make money selling the new idol. And and they said, No more, you can't do that. So Paul, being a wise man, comes. He doesn't teach about a new God. He's found one of their statues that said to the unknown God, and he's not breaking the law technically. He says, okay, I'm going to tell you about that one that you already have. He says, I'm going to tell you about the unknown God, and then he goes and describes who God is and what God did and why God did it all in a couple of verses, and that's why I like it. This is what he said. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing... Him I will proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries for the dwellings so that they, here we go, so that. So basically God made the world, did all of that, so that When you find a so that, you should find out why the so that is there. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of them. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So we are God's children. It is so important. When I'm reading the scripture, I need to understand we are God's children. Emily and I have six kids. Our oldest just turned 16. How many of you recognize what that means? (laughs) He got a driver's license. And we have had conversations, you know, what do we do? I mean, it'd be kind of nice if he could drive around and, and if he had a car and, you know, do we wait around for him to buy a car? Do we buy him a car? Now, how many of you have older siblings? Okay. Those of you who have older siblings, you better know this answer. If we buy our 16-year-old a car, what will the other five automatically assume? (laughs) Hey, you kind of get this, don't you? If being a son or daughter in our family means you get a car when you're 16, if I buy a Car for my oldest son because he turned 16. All of the other kids will immediately assume, hey, that's one of the perks of being in this family. (laughs) So we're not just making a decision about what to do with him, we're setting a precedent about what to do with everyone. Now, when I was growing up, my parents didn't buy me a car. In fact, um, I just drove my mom's car, you know, when she didn't need it, and when I asked permission, and when I wasn't gonna go too far, because my dad really wanted to keep the miles low on that vehicle. Um, so, and I remember, actually it was before, um, before I even got my license, I had my permit, and I was driving with my mom, and I'm gonna tell you the story of my first accident. <laughs> so, we're driving down the road, and we were actually on our way to a chiropractor, And we're, we're driving along, and it starts to snow lightly. And we're looking for a side street. And we're driving down the main road, and we're checking all those. You ever go through, and it's like every, you know, whatever, 50 yards, there's another little side street. And they got the tiny little blue sign or a little green sign. And, and you're like, is that the one? Oh, no, that's not the one. Is that the one? You, see, you slow down, then you speed up. And then you slow down, you speed up, and you, you don't want to be behind that person. Well, that was us. We're kind of coming along. And we're, we're checking every side street to see, you know, is that the one? Is that the one? Is that the one? And so I'm kind of going along. I've slowed down from my full speed, but I'm also still not going so slow as to really upset the people behind us. And we come to the right street, but you, we don't know it until you get close enough to see the sign and to, you know, all the obstructions get out of the way and, and whatever. And my mom says, this is it. And I'm like, I can make it. And she says, go past. So she wants me to just keep going, go up there, turn around, come back. I'm like, but no. I mean, this thing corners really well. (laughs) So so I see the street. I try to make it. I wasn't calculating for the freshly fallen powder. And my car makes it about a quarter of the way through the turn, and then just slides forward. And I went off the edge. There was a telephone pole with one of those guide wires that comes down. And I went right between the two. And the guide wire came up and hit that, you know, the pillar on the side of the, the uh, windshield. And just scraped up and took the mirror and smacked it against the door. And then we slid and there was a big old pine tree with a huge branch that stuck out. And that branch just smashed the hood and just crumpled it up. And like drivability was fine. We actually just put it in four wheel drive and backed out. And I had this big old dent in the front hood, and I had this big old scrape up that side. And then the mirror had come back and smacked against the side of the door. And and this car was like my dad's, you know, pride and joy. He's always been very particular about, you know, the vehicles that he has. And so I was just so like scared. You know, like, oh, no, what is he going to say? And we go to the chiropractor and we drive back and I have to tell him about it. And he's like, well, you know, we'll take it to the the body shop and, and, you know, we're not going to put, what do they call it, bondo. We're going to, you know, do it right. So I had to buy a brand new hood and a brand new stuff and it cost me, I think, $1,600 to fix. Now, here's the question. My siblings, when they heard that I was going to have to pay $1,600, did they automatically assume they would also have to pay $1,600? No, they didn't. Why? Because paying for the accident wasn't a result of my relationship with my parents as a son or daughter. It was a result of my choices. I chose to take that turn too fast. I caused that damage. I was responsible for that. What my my siblings could understand, they knew, hey, I'm not gonna have to pay the $1,600 for his accident, but if I ever do the same thing, if I ever make those choices, I will have to pay for whatever the cost is of my own choices. But I'm not responsible to pay for his choices. You follow that? Remember the verse that we read back at the beginning? The one about you will die? <laughs> Let's go back to that one. 2 Kings 1, verse 16. It says, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub. Why is this happening to him? Is it because of his status as a son or daughter of Christ? No says, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel that you inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. I know that verse doesn't apply to me. You know why? I didn't inquire of Beelzebub. <laughs> do, do you follow? I mean, it's kind of an obvious example, but I'm, I, I want you to see. This was that king's choices that brought that consequence into his life. When I see the Lord say, you will surely die to that king, I don't have to shudder and think, oh, maybe maybe this day, today is the day that that verse applies to me. No, I don't have to worry about it. Like my, my siblings, they understood, hey, this isn't part of the sonship or daughtership package. This, that $1,600 I had to pay, that was a, res- a, a, a result, that's the word I was looking for, of my choices. But if I buy my son, or we, buy my son a car, as a happy 16, you're a part of the family, this is what we do, then all of my other kids are gonna be like, woohoo, can't wait to turn 16 wonder what kind of car I'm going to get. And rightfully so. How many of you understand? If it's part of the package, if it's based on the relationship, then every child who has that relationship can expect that same thing. Romans chapter 10 verse 11, or, or Romans chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 says this, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek for there is no partiality with God. Say that with me. There is no partiality with God. I don't know how many of you guys have used the word partiality as of late, but if you don't have that in your daily vocabulary, it means God doesn't have favorites. So if you are a son or daughter of Christ, God doesn't have favorites whether they're Jews or Gentiles, he uses that example. He says, look, it doesn't matter to me what family you were born into, whether you were born into a seemingly spiritually privileged family or whether you weren't. God has no partiality. You are heirs, children of God. So if he has no favorites, then when you look and you see what God has done for another member of the family, you understand that is his heart towards you. When we read scripture, what we're looking for is who's talking, who are they talking to, and why are they talking? Because if this is a description of a son or daughter of Christ, and they're talking about what they received as an heir, as a son or daughter of Christ, then that applies to me. If we know God shows no favoritism, then when we see God speaking to the righteous, we look at that and we say, that's me. When we see David or another righteous person talking about what God is to him, when we read the Psalms and he says that God is my comfort, He's my protector. He's my provider. Do we say, oh man, I wish I was David. (laughs) I mean, I wish that I lived back then. I wish that God wanted to provide for me and he wanted to do that for me. Wouldn't that be nice? No. That was his because of his relationship to God. I have that same relationship. Therefore, that is mine too. That applies to me. When I read the righteous, David, talking about God and his thoughts and plans and actions towards him, I know I can apply that. It's like me looking and saying, my big brother just got a car. All he did was turn 16. Well, I can't wait until I turn 16. Like that's the way we need to be looking at scriptures. When we're looking in there and we're saying, hey, that's me. It's his promise. It's based on the relationship that I have. I'm going to read a few scriptures. 1 John 5, 14 says, This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Now, who is talking? Paul. Where is he talking from? He's talking from the position of a child of God. I know that that applies to Paul just as much as it applies to me. Because God has no favorites. And this is based on the relationship. So I can look at that and see that. In Jeremiah 29, 12, it says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen you does that apply to me yes because it's on a towel <laughs> no not just because it's on a towel it's okay that I know that it applies to me without thinking about it but if if one of my Christian brothers or sisters is struggling and, and thinking that maybe God doesn't want good things for me and maybe maybe God is causing all of this trouble that's in my life and maybe maybe what do I say buy him a towel (laughs) and then I say this applies to you because God has no favorites and you are just as much a child of God as I am and we are just as much a child of God as David we are just as much a child of God as as this scripture applies and this applies to me so scripture is full of those types of of statements and promises When you leave today, out on one of those little round tables, you're going to find these little books. This big one's in Spanish, this little one's in English. And they're just lists of scriptures that talk about who we are in Christ. What we have a right to as heirs in Christ. As people who have participated in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there should be enough for probably every household. I don't think there's enough if every person grabs one, but if every house gets one, and if you run out and need some, put your name on a list, and we will get some to you probably by next week. But I have a feeling there's probably enough, I think there's like 40 of them out there, for every family to grab one and just go through. I just want to encourage you, when you're looking at Scripture, look at it that way, as, as a son or daughter of Christ, and you are looking for that which applies to the relationship That you have. So. How many of you. Are a son or a daughter of God. You know that your sin. Has been forgiven. That you the Bible. Paul describes it as an adoption. He says you have been adopted. Into the family of God. And you have all of the rights. That come. With being an heir. In God's family. If you don't know that that's you. We have an important step. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. Well, what does that mean? What were you saved from? You were saved from the sin that separated you from God. You were saved from being outside of that family and you were brought in to the family of God and you become a child of God. If you don't know that that's you, we want to take this moment and start with making sure that you have accepted this forgiveness of sin and been adopted into that family. So previously, most of you raised your hand. I want all of you to close your eyes And if you're here today and you say, I want to know that I am part of that family. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, took my place, rose from the dead. His his payment was for my sin. And I want to accept that. If that's you, I want to ask you to raise your hand right now. And we will pray together. I see one person. Is there anybody else? All right. Everyone together, let's pray. Repeat after me. Say, Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus, who lived a perfect life, but died on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe that He rose from the dead and that I am forgiven. I thank you that you invite me into your family. I accept that invitation. And I accept the forgiveness of my sin. I make you the Lord of my life. I live to please you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Awesome. Hey, thank you so much, Josh.